Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rank from Denver 7. And man, things got a little crazy here in the lead up to the draft as the Broncos acquire veteran quarterback Teddy Two Gloves Bridgewater. So what does that mean for the Broncos with the ninth overall selection in the first round? I'm going to get into that, what it means about Bridgewater, what it means about the draft, what it means for Drew Locke and what it means for the Broncos as they move forward. So that's all coming up in the podcast. I also had a chance to sit down and talk with ESPN analyst Booger McFarland, get his take on the quarterbacks in this draft, and also some of the other position players that we should keep an eye on that could fit for the Broncos and maybe how they turn everything around next season. So first, let's get into the news as we lead into tonight's selection in the first round. The Broncos acquired Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Two Gloves. You know, I'll be honest, this is kind of a shrug shoulders moment for me. Teddy is considered smart, an accurate passer, but he's really a game manager. What this does for the Broncos is it protects them going into the draft. If they don't like any of the quarterbacks at nine, they certainly don't have to feel compelled to reach or take one. It does tell me that they're out of the business of trading up because you have Bridgewater and you have Drew Locke. But what I am being told in terms of the draft, because Bridgewater was told he's going to have a chance to compete for the starting job. The question, against who? Who is his competition? Will it be a rookie like Justin Fields, a Trey Lance, or Mac Jones? Or will it be Drew Locke? I mean, I think there's still a possibility, and I know that from talking to sources, that quarterback remains in play for the Broncos with that ninth overall selection. Now, where would they go from there? Listen, everything I'm being told that if Justin Fields is on the board at nine, that they would take him. But they don't really have the appetite to move up. Now remember, George Payton likes collecting picks. He already just moved and lost the pick, a sixth rounder, to get Teddy Bridgewater. The Bridgewater deal makes some sense for this reason. He's a veteran. He's won games in the league, played his best with New Orleans. He's got everything's kind of be, got to be on time for Teddy. He doesn't have the arm strength. He's a guy that's going to dump a ball down for seven yards and hope his receiver or running back gets the extra five for a first down. He's not a guy that's going to take risk. Until last year, he was a guy who protected the ball really well. That's why he would have a chance to start over a rookie or even Drew Locke initially. It's because he's viewed as a game manager who's won games in this league. And also, let's be honest, the Broncos are only paying him $3 million for one year. So this isn't a long-term investment. It protects them. So what does it mean for Drew Locke? Well, Locke's on notice. He's been on notice since the Broncos had a wandering eye this entire offseason. The issue with Drew is simple, and it's reflected in this move for Bridgewater. He doesn't take care of the ball very well. He had turnovers in 11 straight games at one point, tied for the league, league, and interceptions in what has become a risk-averse league, and he also had the lowest completion percentage. Drew makes really good throws in the middle of the field at times. 
He struggles with his mechanics. You'll see when he goes out on the, the outside the hashes. That's why he struggled to connect on deep balls with Jerry Judy. He's got to find a balance between taking chances and taking care of the ball. And if he can't, then he could get beat out by Teddy Bridgewater. But there is a scenario here where if the Broncos take Justin Fields, they could have a quarterback room of Teddy Bridgewater mentoring or starting in front of a Justin Fields, and you move on from Drew Locke. That's why I'm saying quarterback's still an option, but it doesn't mean they will necessarily take a quarterback. Rayshon Slater, the tackle from Northwestern, is coming up the board. He is certainly a possibility for the Broncos, but that's the things we have to look at here. What does this mean now that they have Bridgewater? Basically opens everything up. Rayshon Slater is a name you got to keep an eye on. If the name sounds vaguely familiar, his dad, Reggie Slater, played for the Nuggets 1994-95, kind of a journeyman in the NBA. But Slater is a guy, when I talk to former pro offensive linemen, they believe he might be the best tackle in this draft. Obviously, Panay Sewell is a better athlete. He's bigger and stronger. But when it comes to understanding the game, angles, awareness, Slater gets high marks from the former NFL offensive lineman I've talked to. So if he's on the board and they stay at 9 and the quarterbacks are gone, let's say the Patriots trade up to 8 with Carolina and they take Justin Fields, you could see the Broncos taking Rayshon Slater. And I wonder out loud, and I'll talk to George Payton about this, if they take Slater, would they consider starting Slater at guard as a rookie, at right guard, moving Graham Glasgow to center, and then going with Jawan James for one year, and then the following year you would move Slater out to right tackle. I'm not saying that would happen, but it's not uncommon. Some NFL people think Slater is best fit as a guard. Obviously, if the Broncos take him at nine, they're taking him with the idea that he's going to be their future right tackle to pair with Garrett Bowles. But a lot of options on the board as we look at this draft. You know, who who the Broncos could go to at nine, and as we've discussed, quarterback's still in play. Rayshon Slater, the right tackle, is in play. So I'm going to look at some of the other options and possibilities for the Broncos at nine right after the break. My show is presented by Hoggett Injury Law. With us, it's personal. Speaking of personal, let me tell you about my friend Darby Hoggett. I've known Darby for years. I coached his son in travel ball. My boys, they, we played together around the country. So I got to know Darby really well, sitting in the stands or coaching his boy. In fact, you know, many of Darby's clients have become his good friends. You don't even have to pay him up front. If your case goes as planned, Darby will be the one writing checks to you. And if you get hurt in a car wreck or you've been injured at work, give his team a call at 1-833-HOGGETT. That's H O. Double G A double T, or find out more, visit their website at www.hoggetlaw.com. Welcome back from the break, and let's go over some other possibilities for the Broncos in the first round. Like, so again, what I'm saying is quarterback's still in play, even with the addition of Teddy Bridgewater. Justin Fields is there, I think they take him. Mac Jones is there, they might take him. Trey Lance, same thing. But for me, I've ordered him this way Fields, they take if he's on the board. Lance and Jones, maybe. So what if they don't stay at night and they move back? It opens up a lot of possibilities. Uh, also, you could move back and take an edge rusher like Jalen Phillips or Quiddy Pay. You move back, you know, again, around 15, 16, that 15, 20 range puts you in line. Also for Notre Dame linebacker Jeremiah Awusa-Koromora. He's more probably in that, again, 18, 19, 20 range if you were to trade back and you pick up an extra second-round pick. But that's where you would look to take a linebacker in that situation. What about Micah Parsons? You say at nine. 
he might be the best defensive player on the board. And if none have gone until that ninth pick, that would be the first time ever it's gone that far before a defensive player gets picked. Parsons is violent, and he plays in terms of the way he plays. It is violent. He gets after it. You'd have to vet the off-field concerns. He had some off-field issues. But if you watch the Hey Rookie special that's airing on ESPN, this guy is an athletic marvel. He is basically Von Miller's size, and he runs a 4-3-9. So you'd help in coverage. You'd find a way, if you're Vic Fangio, to use him right away, even if it's in niche packages, to rush from the outside, provide help in coverage, even if it's in zone, which he played more of. But these are some of the players you look at if the Broncos were to trade back. J.C. Horn, the corner from South Carolina, would be in play if you trade back to 14 or 15, I think, or Patrick Sertan. Why take corner? Again, we've talked about this. Kyle Fuller's on a one-year deal. Bryce Callahan likely will not be back after next season. So those are some of the options. If you stay at nine and Fields is there, you take him. If you stay at nine and you don't like the quarterback situation, you take a right tackle, Rayshon Slater. Stay at nine, you could take Micah Parsons, Sertan, or a J.C. Horn, or you move back and look at a linebacker like Jeremiah uh, Awusu Koromora. Those are some of the options. So, And those are some of the guys I talked to with, with ESP analyst Booger McFarland. Booger does great work on ESPN. You saw him on Monday Night Football. He's also an analyst. He played in the SEC, played in the NFL. I had a chance to sit down with Booger this week, kind of go over some of these best players in this college draft because he will be part of ESPN's draft coverage. And I also asked the question, you know, bluntly, how do the Broncos turn things around? Do you realize if they miss the playoffs this season, a sixth straight year, that hasn't happened since their inception in 1960 until 1976. So these are unusual times for the Broncos, but we get great insight from ESPN's Booger McFarland. We are joined by ESPN analyst Booger McFarlane. Booger's seen it from the NFL side, both as an analyst and a player. And on the college side, he'll be part of the ESPN draft coverage. Booger, the question that every draft, it seems like, but this one in particular, it centers on the quarterbacks. There's five that could go in the top ten, but I want to ask you about three that could be in play for the Denver Broncos. That's Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. What What is kind of your breakdown of those three prospects? Well, uh, three very different prospects, three very intriguing prospects. I think the way I look at Mac Jones, he, he's the the ultimate processor. Uh, he can decipher the defense before the play starts. Uh, he understands where to go with the football, very accurate. Uh, he can be the great point guard, so to speak, you know, kind of like John Stockton. He's, he's not Steph Curry. You know, Steph Curry is a point guard that's going to score 35, 40 points. John Stockton is going to score 17, 18 and give you 15 assists. Different type players both Hall of Fame players. So I think that's what Mac Jones is. As far as Justin Fields, I mean, my goodness, what, 6'3", 225, 230, ran 4'4", in the 40. Um, Doesn't process as fast, maybe, as the other, although he does do it. I think there's been that notion out there that he he can't go from read number one to read number five, and that's not true. He can do it. He just doesn't do it as fast as a guy like a Mac Jones. But Justin Fields gives you that second reaction play where as an offensive coordinator, when you call a play and the play is supposed to be run a certain way and the defense just has an answer, can the quarterback make the play right? Can he make something out of nothing? Well, Justin Fields gives you that with the athletic ability and the 4-4 speed. And I think when it comes to Trey Lance, I think he's the he's the wild card. Uh, 
because of the players in this draft that has the that have the most wow factor, that have the highest ceiling, but maybe the lowest floor. Also, you look at Trey Lance because uh, very limited resume, played at a lower level of college football. But my goodness, he the ball just jumps off his his hand so effortlessly. And and I think overall, you see a lot of Patrick Mahomes. Now he's not Mahomes, but you see some of that rare playmaking ability with Trey Lance. And I and I just think that. He's going to take a little bit more time maybe than the other two that we spoke on. But I think eventually in the right system, he could do a lot of things. And until he becomes the NFL dropback passer or the NFL passer that can read these complex defenses, you can rely on his athletic ability, very similar to the way that Buffalo did with Josh Allen. A lot of quarterback runs some different things where you can move the football, but you give him an opportunity to continue to progress as a passer. Interesting you bring up Josh Allen. So those in Broncos country that hope that Drew Locke makes the next step forward point to Josh Allen, his leap in year three. I've tried to say, like, they're not the same quarterback because Josh could have a bad day passing and beat you with his legs where Drew can't do that. But when you look at Drew Locke and you look at these three prospects available, would you move up to get one? Would you take one if there's one there at nine to challenge Drew Locke based on what you've seen from Locke in basically a year and a half as a starter? Well, I come from the school of, uh, of quarterback in that until you are 100% sure you have your guy, I'm always drafting one. So if there's a prospect there, yeah, I'm going to draft him because what's the worst case scenario? That your incumbent uh, takes the next step and you have a guy that you can trade later on. So I'm always going to make sure I have a quarterback, uh, regardless of who's on my roster, that I'm 100% sold on. Uh, so you, you so you have to ask George Patton and John Elway whether they're sold on Drew Locke. It doesn't sound like they are. And until you are, then, yeah, if the guy you have valued or have rated uh, higher or highest is on your board and sitting there, yeah, you definitely take him. I, I, I think that's a no-brainer because what's the worst case in, in that situation? What's the worst thing that could happen? You have too many quarterbacks, which I think a lot of teams in this league would rather have uh, rather than the, the flip side of not having one at all. And I guess the the devil's advocate to that would be then they miss on a player that could help them right away. And let's just say that all the quarterbacks are gone for this exercise. So so they get to nine and they stay put. Is there a player you would take at nine? Because it looks like it might be the first defensive player off the board. I know that has to hurt you, but it might be until the ninth pick that we see a defensive player. So if you're sitting there at nine and you're the Broncos and the quarterbacks are gone, who would you like to see go off the board? Well, I, I, I think you could always look at guys that from the, from the back end, if you can get the top cornerback on the board, whether you have that being Sertan, Farley, uh, J.C. Horn, if, if you want to go that route, you can strengthen your secondary because you can never have enough good cover guys because we have to realize that the league is now a three wide receiver league. So you got to have three corners. No longer can you say, OK, well, I got two, but what about the guy in the slot? So you need three good corners. Uh, from a pass rushing standpoint, I get it. Von Miller's coming back, Chubb. Uh, is Von going to be fully healthy? So do you want to fortify your pass rush and maybe get a guy from an edge standpoint? I think overall you have to value the defensive side of the ball. I know it would be tempting if all the quarterbacks are gone, uh, depending on who's there. Now, if Penay Sewell is there, who, who's considered the best left tackle in the draft, I get it. You have bowls, but I mean, we can always put soil somewhere else because guess what? The offensive line can be interchangeable. It just depends on what they want to do and how they want to team build. I think priority number one in Denver is going to be quarterback if a guy is sitting there that they like. If not, I wouldn't be surprised if they go defense somewhere, either pass rush 
uh, somebody like a Michael Parsons. I know he's not being talked about, but I think me personally, I think Michael Parsons is the best defensive player in this draft. I think when you look at a guy 6'3", 240, that runs 4-3, that can control the middle of the field, think Devin White for the Buccaneers. Now make him bigger. That's what Michael Parsons is. Okay. He's Devin White, but bigger. Now, can he develop into what Devin White is? We'll see, because we're all projecting what these guys are going to be. But if you're Denver, no quarterback. If Penny Sewell is there, I may jump at Sewell. If not, I'm going defense somewhere, either on the front end or the back end. Now, you know the SEC well, just because you've covered it, you played there, and you live, I think you still live in the South, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, I live in Tampa. Yeah, so who do you like between J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan and Caleb Farley? I mean, Farley's Virginia Tech, but J.C. Horn at South Carolina, Joe Horn's son, and Sertan, obviously his dad was a great NFL player. Who Specifically between Sertan and J.C. Horn, who would you take or who do you like out of that group? I'm a J.C. Horn guy just because at some point I can teach a guy how to play zone. What you can't teach is how to play man-to-man. He's the best, I think, the best man-to-man corner in this draft. Maybe 1A, 1B with, with um, Caleb Farley. But I just like the attitude. <laughs> I love the attitude of J.C. Horn. Uh, he understands what it's like being a professional with his dad being Joe Horn. Uh, I think when you look at his competitive spirit, go back and watch when he went up against Kyle Pitts. He took the challenge. So Pitts is 6'6", 245. Horn is a shade over six feet. He didn't back down from that tight end. And I get it. That's what I want on my team. Now, uh, Sertan may go a little bit higher based on the fit. Let's say say if Dallas wants Sertan so bad that they may move up a couple spots to get him. That's because Sertan fits what they do in Dan Quinn in that cover three scheme. They want the big corner that can come up and tackle. They're not going to play a ton of man coverage. It's going to be a lot of zone scheme. So it's all about fit. But if Denver's sitting there and they have their choice between Horn, Sertan, and Farley, I am going with Horn. Uh, Farley would have been that for me had he not had two back surgeries. Because a, a wise man told me once, once you have one back surgery, that's just a precursor to another and another and another. And he's already had two. Yeah, and he had one in a year when he opted out, which I know because I I love Farley's upside. Like I think he has the highest upside of any corner, but yeah, it's yeah. guys that I've covered over 10 years in the NFL, they don't typically get healthier in the NFL. It's right, a harder yeah. league and you struggle to stay healthy. And last thing we'll talk about, we're joined by ESPN analyst Booger McFarlane, who's been on the Monday night games. He does pro games and he's been now an integral part of ESPN's draft coverage. Booger's seen it as a player. He sees it as an analyst. Yeah, the Denver Broncos, man, they, they have been five years without the playoffs. First team in history to win a Super Bowl and then miss the playoffs the next five straight years. Four straight losing records. So this is jarring for Broncos country. They haven't had four straight losing seasons since 1963 to 72. What is the key to turning it around? Because there's talent. Like you can see some of the talent, but what is the key to getting this team back on track? Well, I think they're going to have to adjust to the times a little bit. And that means offensively, you got to be able to score – you know, 28, 30, 35 points a game. Like, that's where it's going. And your defense is not going to be – like, I, I think people look at Vic Fangio and they talk about from a defensive perspective, we saw what he did in Chicago. Well, the the days of being dominant defensively aren't really there. Like, we saw the best defensive football last year in the Rams. They got carved up in the playoffs. You know, because from a standpoint, like Green Bay and the offensive explosion that we've seen – so defenses, defenses can no longer just be dominant. So your offense has to be able to score that many points, and your defense has got to be very, very strategic and get strategic stops. And so if I'm Denver, here's what I say. I have to strengthen my offense. 
I know we got Cortland Sutton and we got Jerry Judy, so we have two really good receivers. I still need Jerry Judy to not drop the football as much, and we can take that next step. I have to get the quarterback position solidified. I need Von Miller to come back to pair with Chubb. If those two guys are humming, now we have pass rush to make the ball come out. What's the middle of our defense going to be like? I love Josie Jewell, but let's be honest. I don't think Josie could cover me and you right now. And I'm 43 years old. Let's just be honest. So that's why I think Michael Parsons could be in place somewhere there. You got to be able to take care of the middle of the field on defense and score points on offense. Yeah, that's what, you raised a great point, and I'll end it with this. What I've tried to tell Bronco fans is even if you, on paper, they have, looks like they have a chance to have a special defense, I don't think in the modern NFL you can be special defensively without leading or keeping the game even offensively because teams are so turnover-averse now that everyone talks about the 2015 Broncos. They scored six touchdowns. That was an aberration. That was one of the greatest defenses in the last 30, 40 years. I mean, is that what you're kind of pointing to? Like you can't just be a standalone great defense if you don't get complimented by your offense? Absolutely. No longer can you say that we're going to line up and, and we're going to be the Baltimore Ravens and we're only going to give up nine touchdowns in a seat. Like it, it just doesn't happen anymore because the rules of the game have made offensive football so much easier. You can't touch anybody. You can't hit a receiver coming across the middle. The field is spread out. And so now football has become players in space. That's why you have to get fast, quick players, put them in space, and allow those guys to, 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 to break tackles, allow those guys to have home run plays. So, yeah, um, it, it really does. A prime example, I'll I give you this example as we close. Look at the Buccaneers last year. Their defense was really good the year before. Last year, not so much during the season, but when it counted in the playoffs, they were able to get timely stops against Green Bay. Against Kansas City, they dominated. You're not going to be able to have that game you had in the Super Bowl every week. But what you can do is in crucial situations, red zone, third down, two minute, you have to be able to get timely stops. And I think from a defensive perspective, you can do that. You're just not going to go out there and give up 10 points a game. Like that day is long gone, my brother. I, I, I lied. I got to ask you one more because you, you got your – what do you go through on draft night when you're sitting there on the coverage? Because you've been in the shoes of those players. What is it like for you as you watch that unfold, as guys' dreams come true, or in some cases, dreams get interrupted or delayed? What is it like having seen it through the eyes of someone drafted, that rare percentile, and now someone as an analyst watching it happen in real time? It's, uh, it's nerve-wracking. It's uh, a lot of anxiousness. It's fun, but it's also well worth it because I'll never forget sitting there waiting. This was 1999. I didn't go to New York City. I was at home in Louisiana. I was the first defensive lineman picked and that didn't happen till 15. That's a rarity. So I'm sitting there going through all these different emotions, but it was well worth it because for me, I got an opportunity to, to see that and experience that with my mother, um, to see the emotion on her face of having raised a son that achieved one of his goals was very satisfying. And so it's all a part of it. You, you talk about a range of emotions, depending on where you pick, from happiness to sadness to anxiousness to calm to to just uh, overjoy with emotions. You go through all of those, and that's only the first five minutes, you know? <laughs> exactly. It is just, it is so cool. I, I feel for them, but I also, I just love to see kids, for, you know, realize their dreams because people, I don't think, realize how much work goes in to that moment. You just see them on Saturday in a college game, but it's those who work when it's lonely, the lonely work behind the scenes. That's why I'm always so happy for those kids when they get drafted because so few have that opportunity. Absolutely. 100 it's, percent. It, it's a dream come true, literally. And it's it's all happening 
in one of the greatest reality TV theaters that we see, which is the NFL draft. That's why millions of people sit back and watch because it, it's one of the few things that we watch on TV that's unscripted. It's real emotion. It's raw. It's happening right before our eyes. And I think that's why we love it. I agree. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And again, the Broncos, uh, the intrigue with them is real because of the possibility they might take a quarterback in the first round. Well, again, I want to thank Booger McFarland, ESPN analyst. He will be part of ESPN's draft coverage, which will air right on our network on Denver 7, beginning Thursday night. It, the draft runs Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as the Broncos look to uh, execute a U-turn this season. Thanks, Booger, for your time. Anytime, man. Take it easy. Thank you for joining me in the Believe in Broncos podcast. I'd like to thank Booger McFarland as my guest. He was fantastic, and we had a chance to kind of chew on and go over some of these draft scenarios. Hope you guys are watching the draft. It seems like about 19 million people did last year, so it is going to be fascinating because so many options on the board for the Broncos, including quarterback, right tackle, a lot of things to talk about. It all goes down tonight. It'll be on Denver 7, so check it out there. I'll be on live with Lionel Bienvenu and Rick uh, Nick Rothschild. A lot of content for you guys everywhere on social media. And then I'll have a podcast on Friday morning breaking down that first-round pick. So remember, this podcast, it's for you. My happiness, it begins with me. So go out there and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.